when you think about the fact that the restaurant industry is more equipped for this than any other industry, and then when you think about the fact that Las Vegas does it at a higher volume and for more hours a day, because of course, you know, you have dinner in Vegas at three in the morning if you want, that we are really good at doing these procedures in a very high volume, very fast, very pressure cooker kind of way. So I personally think Vegas is going to be an example and a model. And I think other companies are going to model themselves after the way we handle this. But I'm optimistic, Corey. I think it's going to take some time. But I think we come back from this. I don't want to share someone else's thoughts. I want to create my own original thoughts. I want to create my own original solutions. I want to look at situations and come up with my own phrasing, my own words, and do it my way. This is the John Taffer Podcast. Shut it down. Hello, and I am ready to rip my fucking eyes out over here. So I'm on, I think, day 77. Now, I must confess, I have left my house and taken some rides. Uh, uh, I even had a couple of friends over the other day to sat, sat in my backyard. We sort of hung out together wearing masks with a little distance. I had another friend stop by. We had a sandwich together sitting out in my backyard, again, keeping a distance. Uh, uh, but other than that, and taking a drive around Vegas, which can be a little depressing with everything boarded up, I have been sitting in this freaking house now for about 77 days. And and, uh, I don't have much to complain about at all when I think of the people who are in much worse situations than I am. So I I have no reason to really complain other than to tell you I'm ready to rip my fucking eyes out. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so I must say things feel a little better. And I'm wondering if you guys feel that way. I'd love to see your comments and and, uh, post at the podcast and see if it's feeling this way where you live. But here in Nevada, you know, we're opening up June 2nd casinos are going to open not all of them it's going to you know be phased opening and you know when we've taken a look at casinos and other places that have opened up they've been pretty busy so uh uh, i'm optimistic uh uh, things like uh, restaurants have put plexiglass dividers between booths Uh, not only have they done that casinos are looking at plexiglass dividers between slot machines they're looking at pedals to play slot machines so you don't touch the handle or the buttons anymore uh, they're looking at connecting your, your cell phone to the slot machine so you can have casino credits on your phone. You just walk up to a machine, connect with the machine. It, it does the deduction from your cell phone account. Uh, it feeds the machine, and she spins away. So the, all of these procedures are happening. But John, John, I have a question. I have yeah. a question about this casino stuff. Just because I've been talking about it with my friends, we like to go gamble at the you know, local Red Rock casinos and stuff. What about the cards? Well, you know, that's a very interesting point, Corn. We were talking about that the other day. Think about if you were playing blackjack. First of all, if he deals the cards, he can't deal them a second time. So he can deal you your cards. Only you touched them. They came out of a mechanical shoe, probably, so he didn't touch them or he's wearing gloves. But when you throw those cards back, they have to go in the trash. So they can only use a deck of cards one time then, can't they? But think about this, Corey. So you sit down at a blackjack table. You put your bet out on the table. You lose the hand. The dealer takes that chip. He can't put it in a stack and give it to somebody else now, right, can the he? Chips too. So the chips have to go right into a receptacle, right? So he takes your chips, puts them right into a receptacle, and when there's a payout, now what is he going to do? Because he used his hand to push your chips into right, the receptacle. No yeah. So now am I going to change my gloves before I pay you out? So, or do I leave your chips there, pay you out first, and then remove the chips? But it's a fascinating process when you think through the details of this, of how do you play blackjack? How do you play roulette? How do you throw the dice, Corey? And what happens if you throw the dice and they roll across my chips? 
Right. <laughs> yeah. So so when you think about it, and then all of these things, how about the chits that come out of the slot machine and you have to go to the cashier's window or the machine and turn those in? So the procedures are driving me crazy when I try to think about how many procedures. So the Venetian just posted online and a win and MGM Resorts are similar. 800 new procedures in the casinos. Wow. 800 new procedures. So it's from the minute you walk in to where you go, how you get there, how you play, how they pay you, how you pay them, everything becomes different. Yeah. And honestly, you know, when you ask that question, I can't wait to see how it actually honestly, works. Yeah. And then how do you put six people at a blackjack table <laughs> right. sitting next to each other? I mean, so, I feel like it just has to go digital at this point. I think it's going to have to, to some degree, or they're going to have to spread in some fashion yeah. or, or wear masks. But, of course, we know there's going to be temperature taking when the people come in. We know there's going to be sanitation uh, uh, stations every place. And it's going to be a very, very different world. But, you know, I have an interesting view on this, Corey. Sitting here in Las Vegas and being a, a huge fan, and I love my city. I love being a proponent for Las Vegas. I think it's the greatest destination in the world. Think about this, Corey. People aren't traveling overseas for a while, are they? No. So I don't think anybody's flying to Europe so quick. No, probably not. Certainly not on vacation. Certainly not going to China. (laughs) Right. Right? Asia's probably out of the question now with everything going on. So if people aren't going to travel internationally, what are they going to do? Las Vegas becomes a pretty attractive alternative, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. So who feeds more than just about anyone? Las Vegas. Yeah. Our airport can handle almost 800,000 passengers in a day. So when you think about how many rooms, thousands and thousands of rooms in our hotels, when was the last time you heard of somebody getting sick eating in Las Vegas? That's a good point, actually, yeah. I can't remember the last time that has ever happened, whether it's a mass feeding, a convention, a corporate event, a food station. I can't remember that ever happening in Las Vegas. So I take the posture that if anybody is able to do this, we are. Absolutely. I mean, in, in the hospitality industry alone, not even including Las Vegas, where the experts at it, it's the cleanest you know, industry in the world. It is. So when you think about the fact that the restaurant industry is more equipped for this than any other industry, and then when you think about the fact that Las Vegas does it at a higher volume and for more hours a day, because of course, you know, you have dinner in Vegas at three in the morning if you want, that we are really good at doing these procedures in a very high volume, very fast, very pressure cooker kind of way. So I personally think Vegas is going to be an example and a model. And I think other companies are going to model themselves after the way we handle this. But I'm optimistic, Corey. I think it's going to take some time. But I think we come back from this. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. And, you know, I had a, a board call. I'm on a board of a hospital. I won't mention which one. And had a board call today. And There are some promising things happening out there. And let's face it, until we get a vaccine or get this under control, things are not going to be the same. We just all have to accept that. But once we get this vaccination and we get over this, again, I said this last week, Corey, how much does the SARS virus affect your life today? It doesn't. <laughs> exactly. You know, how much does polio affect our lives today? Right. How much does tuberculosis affect our lives today? So when we take a look at SARS and the Hong Kong virus and these other recent illnesses that we've had, we overcome this stuff and we'll overcome this too. The trick is, you know, for me, I'm going to stay home a lot. You know, I'm going to work when I have to. I'm going to be very, very safe. Like tomorrow morning, I'm doing a a Fox News piece. I'm on Fox and Friends tomorrow morning. Uh, Really early. I got to get there at about five in the morning, Vegas time. I'm, I'm meeting in a restaurant called the Pepper Mill, which those of you who know Las Vegas, it's a a legendary 24 hour day restaurant. 
There's going to be no customers in there. I'm going to go in there with the Fox cameras. Everybody's going to be 10 feet away from me. And I'm going to take a look at what they're doing uh, to overcome the pandemic. And they have plexiglass partitions between boots and plastic silverware and disposable glassware. And, and, you know, they have completely redesigned their entire operation for this. So it'll be fun to go in there and look at it. This is one of the first times, Corey, that I've actually gone out to do something on camera. Yeah, it has. I've, I've been coming over in, uh, in our makeshift studio in your house. That's right. So, so Corey is actually sitting about 10 feet away from me wearing his mask. His, his sanitizer is everywhere. Oh, yeah. So the way we've been doing this show is we set up the equipment in my bar at home. You guys have seen my bar, of course, online. And Corey comes in the back door of my house, uh, sits down in his little production seat, uh, and uh, we spray everything in between, and we're incredibly careful. And uh, this works for us. And uh, on some occasions, I've done it myself, Corey. You haven't even, we weren't even here in the beginning. No, yeah, we were super careful. I mean, obviously, you know, as regulations get down, we, I mean, we were easing up our regulations as well. And we've gotten good at it. We understand what the procedures are exactly. now. And I've been quarantining myself and, and taking the precautions, you know, because. Yeah, and you're a young guy. Exactly. So. And you're, you're still taking it very seriously. And, I mean, there's nothing to do anyways, even if I wanted to go out and yeah. do something. So, so you're in your, your mid-20s. So are your friends taking this seriously, Corey? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I don't know about wearing masks and gloves and out in public. I wouldn't say that serious, but um, I would definitely say, you know, they're not going to go out to any clubs or restaurants and be partying anytime soon. Right, right. So you guys are meeting outside. You're doing stuff like that. Exactly. And I mean, and I've seen the same four or five people f- for the past, you know, couple of weeks and we've all gotten tested and, you know. Right. So you, ha- you have a safe circle, if you will. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have the same thing with a couple of friends that I trust. We've all been tested and, it, you know, I'm calling it a safe circle. Right. And if I stay in that circle, I'm okay. And uh, anyway, so it's an interesting time, but it's not such a bad time for us, guys. I mean, think about this. So sure, we're in a pandemic, but I suggest, and I said this a little last week, because I want to be a little positive here. We're moving forward. Yeah, some states went up in in, uh, COVID-19 numbers. I get it. But the fact of the matter is we're starting to go out. Here in Vegas, restaurants are starting to get busy. I've been speaking to people around the country. Things are starting to get busy. So again, this week, I wanted to talk to you guys rather than have a special expert or guest on. And I'm really curious as to what's going on around the country. So I had Corey find some great callers from around the country from different cities that we could talk to today and different industries. We even have a semi-pro ice fisherman. Wow, that's exciting. (laughs) Who, who, I mean, he's worried about sponsorships and his sport carrying through. We have a food truck operator. You know, we have some restaurant people. We even have a a, a bartender. We have a landscaper who's worried about the landscaping business. So we have a lot to talk about today. When I come back, we'll start talking to him. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. As the demand for telemedicine grows, so does the need for connectivity. 5G meets that need. Qualcomm remains focused on giving doctors and patients superior, security-rich 5G connectivity. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash inventionage. My first call is with a gentleman by the name of Jay. Jay's in San Diego. He's a restaurant bar manager. Of course, he's been closed for weeks, and they're reopening this weekend, and he's a little panicked by it. So I'm going to call him myself. He doesn't know I'm calling. He thinks you're going to call, right, Corey? Yeah. So I'm going to call myself. Let's see what happens. 
Hello. Hello, Jay. John Taffer here. John Taffer, how you doing, sir? Good. Did I catch you by surprise? You did actually catch me by surprise. Good. That's what I wanted to do. I'm trying to have some fun over here, buddy. So how you doing? You know, I've uh, I've been better. I'm uh, I'm a little bit concerned about the future of the restaurant industry, to be honest with you. Yeah. Are you in the business, Jay? Yeah, I've, I've worked for the company I worked for for about 13 years. I started as a busboy and then worked my way up to a server, then cocktailer and bartender and manager. So, so it's and, in uh, it's in your blood. It's kind of in my blood now. Yeah. Yeah. Is your restaurant reopening? Yeah, we got the confirmation. So my restaurant's down here in San Diego, California, and uh, we got the confirmation that I think last week actually that we could start opening, but my restaurant chose to wait a few days, and uh, we're opening on Friday. Oh, well, that, that makes sense. So they're taking a few days to get organized and get ready for it. Yeah, there's a lot of concern, though. Uh, the way that the – I mean, I, I love my organization. I love my restaurant. But the way that they've chose to go about doing it has kind of put a lot of people under, you know, pretty significant pressure as far as uh, – they didn't really give us a lot of time. Like, they – literally, our schedule came out for Friday yesterday. <laughs> huh. They want to open up Friday. And they, they, no one really knew what was going on. And they, they posted the schedules on C to it, which is a scheduling app. Yep. They did that. They did that yesterday for Friday and Saturday and the shift, the shifts for next week haven't even been posted yet. So, uh, and there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of hesitation uh, amongst staff uh, for going back because they're not really sure how things are going to things are going to play out and they're making pretty good money on unemployment. Yeah. But as far as where I'm sitting, I'm thinking, you know, I got to go back because if when, you know, when unemployment gives out, I want to make sure I have a job. Well, well said. And you know, when we think about this going forward, we're going to lose a bunch of restaurants. You know that Jay, right? So, you know, the experts and, and I guess I'm one of them, you know, that I hear 25%, 30%. I think it's a little closer to 40% myself. And this is, you know, talking with, uh, friends and, and companies and, 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 you know, hearing feedback from hundreds of restaurants over these months. But, you know, a guy like you who's in a business, you need to dig in now. Go back, claim your space, be a leader in this time. You know, come up with the solutions, get the staff motivated, get them trained in new procedures and stuff. Now, if you think about it, if we're going to lose 40% of our restaurants, let's say 30% just to be conservative, then that means 30% of the people in our restaurant industry are going to lose their jobs. You don't want to be one of those 30%. So you've got to go in and you've got to figure out what are the procedures, policies? How do I work with them on new sanitation procedures? How do I get my employees motivated and come back? How do I take care of my guests? How do I make this work? And we can talk about that in a second, but that's a big bite. How do we make this work now, isn't it? Absolutely. So when you think about it... Do you think that there was a problem from the get-go? Like, why why was our bit like why was our industry impacted so hard though? Because like I I never really thought. I mean, as far as the restaurant industry goes, I feel like I mean for the most part, you know, we we all take pretty good healthy measures to keep things sanitary. 
So what? why did they track, why did they track it back to the restaurant industry and shut us down first? Well, you know, I think that's one hell of a question, and I agree with you, Jay. I think we are good at this as an industry. You know, we've been dealing with the hidden enemy bacteria since our inception. So we know how to clean services, you know, keep product on the right temperatures, wash our hands. You know, we know how to do these things in industry much better than retailers do or hardware stores do or other stores do who don't even have the word sanitation really in their, in their right. corporate vocabulary till after this. So I'm with you 100%. So let's talk about this for a second. I don't believe that restaurants and bars were targeted per se. What was targeted was location-based entertainment and, and industries. So think about it, theaters, bowling centers, concert venues, comedy clubs, bars, any places of congregation is what they targeted initially. Now, they had a scientific motivation. I don't believe that they targeted our industry. Jay, we're the largest employer in America other than the federal government is, is our industry. So, you know, shutting us down as a singular focus would destroy our economy. It makes no sense. But the reality of it is we've been wounded. We have our legs cut off. So what happens going forward? Well, think about this, Jay. If, if you have 50% capacity or 30% capacity, let's call it 50% capacity, then it takes you two hours to do the same business you used to do in one hour. You with me? Right. So in that extra hour, I now have twice the labor cost, don't I? Twice the utility the cost. Twice. And I still have the same overhead, right? So the numbers just don't work. And when you think about the fact that the average restaurant clears maybe 12% of revenue, 18% of revenue, sort of on a higher end, then when you start to cut that revenue by that much, the numbers just don't work. And, uh, uh, but they're going to work for somebody because if we lose 40% of our restaurants, then we don't lose 60% of them, right? Very so. True. So I hate to use the glass half empty, the glass half full thing on you, but why don't we talk about the 60% that survive for a minute? Well, They're going to so, so that's 60%. First of all, you want to be affiliated with them, <laughs> right? You do as a restaurant professional. But those operators are going to have great marketing plans and they're going to condense their menus and figure out how to get their food costs down a few points. They're still going to provide value to their guests. Their employees are going to be motivated. Their management is going to be motivated. That's the 60% that's going to make it. So I suggest, and you sound like a pro to me, buddy, I suggest that you don't let this paralyze you. I suggest that you go into work Friday as Mr. Solution figure out how to make this work. Now, if it doesn't work with this restaurant and it closes in months, the experience you gain from really trying to make this work and think it through in your mind is going to set you up for the next one. So think about this. Think about this as a personal challenge, Jay, not an industry challenge. And take that freaking challenge, buddy, and go run with it, okay? I appreciate that, John. Thank you for the call, man. You take care, buddy. Well, you know, that's a little positive discussion. Uh, for Jay, and it's a good way to think about it, folks. Whenever we're in an industry where something is going to close, that's when we need to do better. So, so this is a great time for Jay to really step up and, and be part of the solution uh, uh, and really secure his future in that effort. And I think that's very, very important. So how many of you know a semi-pro ice fisherman? Now, I used to go up to Minnesota, and I used to do ice fishing years ago, Corey, when we used to do casinos up there. And it's a lot of fun, but he has a whole different set of problems. So I'm going to call Joe. Hello? How you doing? Fine. How are you? 
<laughs> John Taffer here. Mr. Taffer, how are you? <laughs> Good to talk to you. You know, Joe, I wanted to catch you by surprise. I was sort of screwing with you a little bit. I hope you don't mind, buddy. <laughs> no, not at all. So uh, nice to talk with you. So uh, you called into the show, and I wanted to give you a call back. You caught my eye as a semi-pro ice fisherman. And, you know, yes, sir. during this strange time in our society together, it's interesting to talk to people who have different perspectives and come from different viewpoints. So what's going on, Joe? Not a whole lot. Um, in southeast Michigan, we're right by Wayne County, so we've been hit pretty hard around here. Yeah, you have. Um, but luckily, my job has been spared. Just um, slow right now, but I do have a job once everything gets going back. Good. Running. She, she got some peace of and mind. Michigan's been through I hell. Do. It has been. We're still, we got parts that are open, parts that still aren't, but we're we're getting through it. Yep. What do you want to talk about today? Um, I was just kind of curious on what your perspective might be with places as they open back up, if they might be interested in doing sponsorships and what I might be able to do different to provide a return on investment. So with the, the ice fishing tournaments, we go from here all the way out to North Dakota. And so sponsorship dollars is really key to be able to, to travel and cover expenses and costs. And I'm just really scared that places aren't going to want to do anything this year. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's a, that's a fair concern when you think about the fact that revenues have been cut, expenses are still high, uh, 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 right. They're worried about keeping their employees and all of that sponsorships get very, very challenged in this environment. And by the way, I used to, uh, uh, be a consultant to grand casinos up in Mille Lacs and Hinkley, okay. Minnesota. And we used to go to the, the, to the beginning of ice fishing season up there. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. We used to hang out in the ice fishing villages up there. And it was an incredible time. So, so yeah, uh, it, it, it's a blast, a lot of camaraderie. And actually I've been to Mille Lacs a couple of times for the, the major circuit that I do. Our championship was there for several years. Well, you know, this is important. It's interstate commerce. When you take a look at a state like Minnesota or, or, or your area of Michigan, this is important economically as well. You know, these, these uh, uh, villages are set up. Ice fishing becomes a big sport, uh, <clears throat> a great competitive base. So things like this are important. So let's think about it. What does a sponsor want, Joe? He wants people to come to his business. So, Absolutely. So if you say to him, I'm going to put a sign up, you know, uh, 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 where the tournament is, ah, you know, ah, I, got, I need people to come to my restaurant. I don't know if a sign is going to do that. And if you say, well, you know, we're going we're gonna, to you know, put your logo on all of our competitors and we're going to, you know, I need people in my restaurant. I'm not sure I can do that. So why wouldn't you create a coupon program or a bounce back program in your sponsorship package so that, for example, uh, 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 your membership, your, your attendees, your competitors all get a certain discount or have some certain package with that sponsor that causes them to go to that restaurant or bar. So what I'm suggesting you do is redesign your sponsorship package so it has a bounce-back mechanism in it for all the members and attendees and participants in your competitive event. Make sense? Right. And, and yeah create a mechanism so when they say well why would i want to do this well you don't want to sign up there even though you're getting one we have a special program where everybody gets a coupon or a ticket or an invitation or a chef tasting whatever it is they're doing to come back to your restaurant so this is a sponsorship that really generates traffic 
not just exposure. And, you know, in the right. past, we used to think of sponsorships as exposure. You know, NASCAR, for example, has a surface that if you're a UPS, you're a company that sponsors a NASCAR, you got to print up every month of all the moments and seconds that your logo appeared on media across the country. So a UPS or a company like that can spend millions of dollars, but then they get a report from NASCAR that says, well, you received 16,495,000 mentions and visual impressions. And so they attach the value to exposure. I'm suggesting right. that doesn't work anymore. Now we got to attach the value to traffic. Yeah, and we're already in a, a niche market of an already niche market. Yep. You know, ice fishing is so regional that once you get south of northern Illinois, northern Indiana, there's really not that much ice for anybody national to want to do a sponsorship. Yeah, I agree. You know, there's, there's no real payoff because it's six months for a third of the country. So you got to fill those yeah. restaurants that sponsor you. You got to say, if you buy a sponsorship, we do an event there the night before. We do an event the night after. You know, we come in with crew and people and competitors and we eat there. We spend the money uh, as well and right. come back. And, so I think that's what you Set sort of got to do. There. Yep. And Joe, I'm going to be funny with you for a second. If you can create some real traffic value like that, you will. You ready? You will crack through. <laughs> <laughs> Little ice humor there, buddy. Uh, Listen, take care. Uh, I hope you have a good season. You too. Nice talking with you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, so we've got the bar situation discussed in San Diego. We've dealt with a semi-pro ice fisherman in Michigan. The next place we're going is Kentucky into the landscaping business. I'm going to call Tim House. Tim House. John Taffer, how are you, Tim? Doing good. Did I catch you by surprise John here? Yes, John Taffer, it's me. <laughs> how you doing, sir? Good, how are you? Nice to talk to you, Tim. Where are you in Kentucky? Louisville. Louisville. Okay, my daughter's in Henderson. So uh, uh, I come out your neck of the woods all the time. So I understand you're in the landscaping business, buddy. Yes, sir. And what do you want to talk about today? Man, what's your secret of success? Oh, boy. You know, I think if I had one, it would be reaction management, Tim. And, you know, years ago when I was younger, I learned that that you're not in a landscaping business. You're in a reaction business. You achieve it through landscaping. And if I'm your client, the way I react to you, the way I react to your workers, the way I react to your truck, the way you clean up, it's my reactions that drive the success of your business. And, you know, I think if there's one reason that I, one way that I became successful, it would be understanding that, that I'm not in the business of anything but creating reactions. Even right now, I'm doing my podcast with you, Tim. I'm not in the podcast business right now. I'm trying to create reactions out of my podcast. So, you know, I think if we elevate what we do to that next level and say, okay, I can't just landscape. I got to create reactions when I do it. Clients need to see something extra, something special. They need to connect with me. You know, the way I answer my phone, the way, which by the way, wasn't the nicest answer of a phone I ever heard in my life. I don't know if this is your business phone, but you were sort of curt when you picked up the phone. So if I was a client, I probably wouldn't have liked that. But the way you answer the phone, the way your truck looks, the way your guys dress, the way all of these things create reactions in customers that make them feel smarter for doing business with you. Does that make sense? Yes, sir, it does. So, so when you think about your business, what are the little things? And you got to pick it apart. I, when I do my educational programs, I call them 
Crows, C-R-O-W-S, customer reaction opportunity windows. Moments when I can make them say, wow, I'm really glad I hired this guy. Or moments where I, I say, "Real, I really like this guy. He really goes the extra mile for me. He really does this. He really does that. So what are the opportunity windows that you have to create reactions with your clients and the people that you work with? And give some thought to that and understand if, if you create a better reaction, then you're going to create a better transaction, if that makes sense. And you build more customer yeah. loyalty. So when you wake up tomorrow morning and look in the mirror, I want you to say to yourself, I'm not in the landscaping business. I'm in a reaction business. Landscaping is just how I do it. And think about your business and how you can manipulate and cause more reactions from people. Does that make sense? Yes, sir, it does. Give it a try, okay? Let us know how you do. Try everything from branding your trucks to branding your guys to creating a different way of doing business to sending texts to clients after each service and telling them that you did this and you did that that maybe wasn't in the contract and figure out a way to communicate more through texts and create reactions of how much you care about them and watch what happens, buddy. It worked for me. Um, the one thing I do after I service any new customer's property, um, I usually wait about 24 hours because it usually takes about 24 hours that somebody pick apart anybody's work. Yep. And then, um, give, and them, is, and then give them a courtesy call? Either a courtesy call or an email. Great. And ask them if that's completely satisfied with my service. Great. And, and that's important. And you should, don't only do it the first time. I would do it every two or three weeks with every client. And just let them know how much you care, how much you care. Because you don't lay off people who care. And you don't lay off people who, who are creating the great reactions. And that's what I hope you do, you know, buddy. And I wish you luck, Tim. Yes, sir. Have a good day, sir. You Thanks, too. Sir. Take care, buddy. Well, interesting. You know, when I talk about reaction management, it's the essence of who I am. And even on Bar Rescue, guys, I never think I'm making a TV show. I never think that way when I'm there. I never really think about the cameras. I'm there creating reactions in the owners of this bar to be successful. I mean, I'm working it. I'm working it. And, and the only way you can be successful is when people react the right way to you. So if they care about you, if they respect you, if they think you're knowledgeable, the way people react to you determines everything in success. So I suggest that none of us are in the landscaping business or the ice business or the restaurant business or the law business or the accounting business or the retail. We are all in the business of reactions. And he or she who creates the best reactions, whether it's an employee, a manager, an owner in any business, are the ones that are going to be the most successful. And that, I hope, is the lesson uh, uh, that was learned in that call. Okay, so let's go down and let's talk to a hospitality server in Philadelphia who's also in a wedding planning business. I'm going to call Christina. Hi, Christina. John Taffer here. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. I thought I'd catch you by surprise and have a little fun here. I hope that's okay. Yeah, that's great. So where are you? You're in Philadelphia. We are, yes. You know, it's funny. When we shot Bar Rescue in Philadelphia a few years ago, we were there, I think, like five weeks, and we had a production assistant bring us two cheesesteaks from two different restaurants every day for the entire four to five weeks that we were there. And we never had the same one twice. And then we had the Did whole- Did you find crew. a favorite? I can't say. I'll get in trouble if I say. But yes, it was amazing <laughs> is we have a crew of 50. And it was amazing. About 70% of them all came up with the same conclusion. Now, I'll tell you secretly, but I can't tell you on the podcast. Oh, okay. That's fine. That's fair. But, <laughs> but very few of them were bad. I'll tell you that. 
No, that's good. Good to hear. I'm glad we're living up to our legacy. <laughs> you definitely are. So you're a hospitality server. What kind of restaurant do you work in or did you work in? Uh, so I currently don't work in a restaurant. I actually, interestingly enough, worked in a restaurant um, when I lived out in Chicago that was on Bar Rescue. I wasn't on the show, but I worked there after you rescued it. Um, ah. that, I don't know if I can say, but. You can. Um, Which one? <laughs> Which one? Uh, it was the Blue Frogs Local 22. It was of like course. way back in season one. Yeah. Mimi and John. Um, so, yeah. And, and sure. Yes, exactly. Sure. I still hear yeah, from them every once in a while. They didn't love oh, me in good, the beginning, good. but they did love me in the end. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of how it goes. So. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Um, but yeah, so I worked in a lot of, of different bars and restaurants. Um, I actually currently work as um, an event planner. So I work more for like catering companies. Um, and I work as like freelance wedding planner and different things like that. So, well, your yeah, business so is taking still a hit in the industry, but yeah, your business yeah, is a taking bit. a hit. It's, it's been a little rough. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> but, last week's podcast, you know. we had a 102 year old event center and in, in New Jersey, oh, and wow. he was on, of course they've shut him down. He's not even allowed to take bookings. So, you know, yeah, when, yeah. when you think about these venues, it's terrible because not only did they lose the events over the summer, but now they got to reschedule these events into next year and they lose those right. days from inventory. So it's a double right. whammy because you lose the business next year from the business you're putting in this year. So uh, uh, it's, right. it's a pretty scary business. So, and it's a hard line to walk because, you know, there's a lot of, of our clients who are, you know, they have to reschedule their weddings and things like that. And you know, it's really hard to deal with them being so upset with things going on. And, you know, you kind of just have to sort of come back and say, well, you know, we're doing the best we can. And, you know, this, it just sort of is what it is. You know, you can only do so much. So, so how yeah, are the venues but, working with you? Are the, are the venues being flexible and is everybody trying to accommodate you? They're being as flexible as they can be. <laughs> I mean, I have uh, clients who are supposed to get married uh, this coming month in June, and they had to kind of try to scramble. They decided to reschedule for September, but all the dates in September, as I'm sure you well know, very hard to plan a wedding in three months, yep. especially to get a date and everything. So they had to reschedule for a Thursday, which is kind of tough on their their mm. guests and things like that. So it's just sort of everyone's just doing the best that they can do, you know, kind of having that attitude of, well, you know, as vendors and as, as, you know, providers, we're sort of all in this together and you can only do so much. So, you yeah. know, but so, thankfully I have great clients that are really sweet and very understanding. So I get yeah. lucky there. But uh, well, that's wonderful. <laughs> but you're actually working twice as hard now for the same money when you think about it. Because yeah. now you're replanning a second <laughs> sure. event, dealing with the cancellation, the contract. You know, you've got to now deal the call with the florist. You got to call the cake guy. You got to do this. You got to do that. There's all linens. I mean, there's so many things that, that you're involved in that now you have yeah. to re-coordinate everything. Are you finding yeah, that people... Yeah, I basically have to start over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and are you finding that people are trying to still get married with smaller groups or with just family, or do you find that they're postponing the, the entire event? So I feel like it's a, a little bit of both. Um, like I have, you know, I, I work mainly with, um, so you say like non-traditional weddings. So we work with people who maybe want to do their wedding in a different order. Maybe they want to have their cocktail hour and then have their ceremony or, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. So we, I really am, am, like I said, lucky to work with clients who are like very flexible, which is great. Um, but for the most part, I think that people are just re trying to reschedule as much as they can. And I think as a result of that, then that means that they're ending up having 
weddings that are going to be smaller because, like I said, you know, they're maybe on a different day of the week kind yeah, of a when thing. People aren't so. available. Are you worried about some of right. the venues not reopening? Um, here we're fairly lucky. Um, so I think that, you know, around when you're in a major city, it's a little bit easier because they just have the resources to kind of have more staff and have more, you know, flexibility with when they're going to open and how they're going to open things like that. But yeah, I mean, we have seen a couple of places that just sort of said, Hey, we kind of weren't doing so great before this. So, you know, this is maybe the straw that broke the camel's back and we're just going to say, you know, we're going out of business, which is really unfortunate, which, you know, I feel like is a big trend with small businesses, especially, you know, so that's why we're all, you know, hopefully trying to be out here supporting small businesses as much as we can and, and giving them support so that they can bounce back after this. So, yeah. Well, you have an incredible attitude. You really do an incredibly (laughs) positive attitude. I can see why you're in the business that you are, you know, people, when, (laughs) when they go to a wedding, well, you know, when people go to a wedding planner, it's a little scary uh, uh, when you really think about mm-hmm. it. Christina, I mean, do I trust this person? You know, it's the most important day of my life, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's mm-hmm. so, so a personality like yours builds some trust. And, you know, I, I oh, could well, see. thank you. That's very nice. <laughs> uh, I could see uh, you being very successful in this business. Well, it was fun to talk to you. And, and you know, I hope things. Yeah, thank you so much for calling. I hope things get better soon and uh, that you marry a lot of people this year because marriage is a great thing. Yes, <laughs> I am married myself, so I agree with you there. Excellent. So, well, congratulations. Yeah. Take care, Christina. Wow, it's interesting when we talk to these people all over the country how some perspectives are so positive, some perspectives are so negative. Yeah, some, like, I think you went a little too easy on Tim. You think I did? You think I should have beat him up a little yeah, more? Yeah, he, he answered the phone like you were bothering him. I know. It was <laughs> like he was going to cut my legs off. if it, Right. Well, you know, I think those things are important. And I, I always say in any business, from the first contact, the way you answer the phone, all of those things are so critical. But in his defense, that might not be his business phone. True. Very true. Very so, true. So, so business people might love calling hey, him. We it's his friends who don't like calling him. <laughs> anyway, it's interesting to hear everybody's perspective, Corey. And at the end of the day, people with great attitudes win. People who go at things in a positive way win. Pandemic or not, that doesn't freaking change. And when I do these calls, Corey, that's what I find out. You know, people like Christina that are so upbeat, so positive about what they're doing, she's going to succeed. There's no question about it. So let's all check our attitude at the door, especially now when we might need that attitude more than ever before. I'll be right back. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. Well, these past two podcasts, we've talked to uh, eight or 10 people, Corey, yeah. all over the country, all different walks of life and business. And we've learned so much about what's going on in America. And we, we've really, to me, I've learned how important it is that we fill the glass halfway, not empty it halfway. And how important it is that we don't let this damn thing paralyze us, that we continue to move forward. I've also learned how important it is now, more than ever, that we're good to each other. Right now, we need each other as business owners, as employees, as employers, as neighbors. We need each other. For example, Corey, I go out to walk my dog in my neighborhood. Okay. Somebody else is walking the dog. They cross over to the other side of the street. Okay. Or I cross over to the other side of the street. You know, we need each other today. Even walking our dogs on the street. Yeah. 
There's a certain decorum, a respect that we need to have for each other. I wish, and I'm going to say it, and I'm going to get beat up for it. I wish our president chose his arguments a little more carefully, candidly. And I think that some of the arguments are worth fighting. Some of them are just not. And maybe we as a society should rise above it and say to ourselves, what battles are we going to fight and how do we support each other more? And let's fight less battles and let's support each other a little more. That's what I've learned from all of these calls, Corey. And when I think about somebody who hasn't let the pandemic slow him down, who's taking care of all of his employees, taking care of his friends, taking care of his people, and is out there trying to make a difference, one of the names that comes to my mind is Mark Cuban. No, absolutely. He's kept his people on the payroll. He's done everything he can. He's on news stations. He's all over the place. He is a warrior for American small business and for American sports. And, you know, hats off to Mark for all that he's done these past few weeks, keeping his employees and the energy around him positive and moving forward. So, who do you think's on next week's podcast, Corey? I don't know. Who? Mark Cuban. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I reached out to my buddy Mark. He'll be here with us next week. I hope you'll be with us, too. Hang in there. We'll talk to you next week. Subscribe to the John Tapper podcast right now for more episodes every Thursday.